You're listening to the Tree of Life podcast, where we desire to be a bridge between the two covenantal peoples, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, by inspiring the non-Jewish part of Messiah's body to reconnect with its Jewish roots through biblical teaching and worshipful demonstrations, and to work towards greater understanding and reconciliation between Messiah's body and traditional Judaism. And now, here's Rabbi Joel Lieberman. Well, we left off last Shabbat in Luke chapter 10. I want to encourage you, uh, we use the TLV here, the Tree of Life version. It is on you version. I am not a TLV only guy. I love the complete Jewish Bible. It's another solid Messianic Jewish version. I encourage you to uh, get a, a number of different versions of the scriptures and read and study with multiple versions. One of my favorite uh, is the New King James Version. Uh, I love that version for many reasons. I can talk to you privately after the service. Uh, I've been spending the last several months in the Open Bible, which is not really a study Bible. There are no study notes in here, but there's some great charts and diagrams and a great reference suite. And I encourage you to go with multiple versions because it enlivens the scriptures to you. But I love the TLV, and we're a Messianic Jewish congregation, and that's the version we use publicly here. And this is my daily driver, a reader. We begin in chapter 10. Now, after these things, uh, rather, verse 17, then the 70 returned. We're going to be speaking to you about this morning for a few minutes. Reasons to rejoice. Reasons to rejoice. I was praying with my brother in the back, Terrence. Uh, by the way, I didn't see Terrence on the drums. We're working in some other drummers. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much. It's been a number of months since we had you on the drums. But uh, he woke up this morning. Apparently there was a power outage in Chula Vista last night. And, and he had his phone off overnight. And his ADT security system kind of blitzed on that. And uh, they charged him 100 bucks because he didn't get back in time when the alarm got tripped. With the, so anyway, reasons to rejoice. I know you're out $100 this morning, but there are reasons to rejoice. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Master, even the demons submit to us in your name. And so in view of Yeshua's preparatory instructions to the 70 that we looked at last Shabbat, in verses 1 to 16, we might have expected the 70 or the 72, depending on the textual variant, to feel miserable and glad that the experience was over after those preparatory instructions. However, that is normally not the result of serving Yeshua, regardless of whatever hardships that are involved that we experience. For these Talmudim, they had experienced supernatural koach, or power, or enablement. Because they trusted and obeyed the Lord. For you see, actually in these days, exorcists usually had to employ various incantations to persuade demons to leave. Thus, the Talmudim here are amazed at the immediate efficacy of Yeshua's name. And that caused them to rejoice. Now we know that whatever makes us rejoice reveals our true values. Amen? Yes. Do we get more excited about temporal blessings or eternal ones? Do we get more excited about a new car or a new brother or sister in Messiah? Let's look at several reasons Yeshua gave us to rejoice. 
Verse 18 tells us, And Yeshua said to them, I was watching Satan, Satan, fall like lightning from heaven. Reason number one to rejoice. Ha Satan has fallen. <laughs> Yeshua has seen things we have not seen. And he can see things in the spiritual realm we cannot see. When did Hasatan fall? Well, Yeshua could have been referring here to the past exclusion of Hasatan from his standing in heaven that many Bible students believe is being described in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, which shows that at one time, Lucifer was a shining angel, but he tried to exalt himself. He tried to become God. Adonai kicked him out of heaven. Hasatan fell like a bolt of lightning crashes to the earth. It was that quick. However, Yeshua appears to have been describing here because of the Greek tense of the verb. It's an imperfect tense, and the TLV catches it. I was watching, talking about a current fall, a current humiliation resulting from the subjection of the demons to his authority. In other words, Yeshua could also be referring to seeing Hasatan fall when the 70 or 72 disciples went out preaching, went out healing, and went out casting out demons. For you see, in Yeshua, we have authority over the adversary. That is cause for rejoicing. Hallelujah. Now, in addition, Yeshua as well could be experiencing a vision he had of the future and Hasatan's final defeat in which he would experience severe humiliations during the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, and at the end of the millennium. But whatever the reference of either of those three points, Yeshua indicates that Hasatan's authority and his power over people has been decisively broken. And I also see in the statement a warning to the disciples not to become proud about their ministry. Yeshua was the power behind their work. So Hasatan has fallen. It's reason for rejoicing. But look with me at the next verse. Behold, I have, Yeshua says, I have given you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Reason number two to rejoice, Adonai's servants are protected. The authority in Greek, the exousia, the delegated right to use power as received that Yeshua had given to these 70 to escape injury physically, paralleled their ability to overcome the adversary and his demons spiritually. Yeshua said his disciples would have the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Terms representing the most dangerous forms of spiritual evil. We find in Genesis early on, chapter 3, Adonai predicted the seed of a woman would what? Would crush the head of Hasatan, the serpent. It is not our power, but God's. Now most of us have an inbred fear of snakes and scorpions. Yeshua was saying that when we're on mission for Him, we don't have to fear those things that usually make us afraid. Why? Because He will protect us. Now, it doesn't mean we're to be foolish. It doesn't mean we're to take 
you know, unreasonable risks and so on, but he will protect us. When Shaul actually this reminds us when he was on when he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, right? Remember yes. the story in Acts 28? He's preaching to the people. What happens? A poisonous snake slithered out of the firewood and bit him. And what did he do? He just shook it off into the fire. And he kept on preaching. Adonai doesn't say we'll be we will be today immune from bad things, but he promises we'll survive the dangerous experiences. They thought he was going to die. He survived. That's another reason to rejoice. Hallelujah. And he goes on to say to the disciples here, nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names have been written in the heavens. Reason number three to rejoice. Our names have been written in Sefer Hachim, the book of life. Yeshua warns the Talmudim that they must not base their joy in the fact that they have, you know, power over demons, success in ministry, etc. As great as victory over injury is, and especially over demons, how great a victory that was. A greater cause, Yeshua says, for rejoicing was the 70s assurance that Adonai was going to reward them with forgiveness of sins, freedom from the power of sin, heaven itself, plus other heavenly rewards. For you see, casting out demons, hear me today, casting out demons is not proof of one's salvation. The only sure proof of salvation is whether our name is written in Adonai's book. Now obviously, God does not need literal ledgers to write records in since he knows everything. Written in the heavens is a figurative way of saying that Adonai remembers. By the way, tidbit here, the Greek verb here is in the perfect passive indicative. That means the names aren't being written or will be written. They stand already written in a state of completion. It's the Greek verb engrafo. We translate it engraved. If we know Yeshua, our name is engraved in Adonai's book of life. My friends, there's going to be terrible consequences if we die and our name is not engraved there, Revelation 20 tells us. There will be, this is the major theme of the Jewish High Holy Days, isn't it? To be engraved in Sefer HaKnim. Is our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If it is, Yeshua says, time to party, time to rejoice. And in that very hour, Yeshua was overjoyed in Ruch Kodesh, the Holy Spirit, and said, I praise you, Father, Master of the universe, that you have hidden these things from the wise and discerning and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing to you. Rejoicing area number four is that Adonai, God, reveals truth to simple people. Simple people. God reveals truth to simple people. We see here that Ruach HaKodesh was the source of Yeshua's joy. 
And in addition, Adonai enjoys confounding. He loves confounding those who are intellectually wise in their own estimations, in their own opinions. They think they have it all figured out, probably referring here in this context to some of the Jewish religious leaders in his day. People today try to make a relationship with God and they try to make theology so complex and Adonai takes pleasure in simplicity. That's all I do every Shabbat here. I take these scriptures and I put them on a plate as simple as we can make them. The infants Yeshua is probably talking about here were Yeshua's disciples who humbly accept the truth revealed in God's Word. Now our text is unique in that this is the only time in the the New Covenant where it is said that Yeshua rejoiced greatly. He's overjoyed. What he rejoiced greatly about was the news of how God's grace had resulted in the salvation of souls through the ministry of these 70 or 72. And if thinking on these matters of grace, of chesed, caused Yeshua to be overjoyed and rejoice, then the same should be true for us, for those of us who are becoming more and more fashioned like Him. And so to understand what made Yeshua rejoice, and what should make, by implication, us rejoice, we need to grasp the meaning today of God's chesed, His grace. Adonai's grace means that salvation is totally from him and not from man. Scripture plainly shows that salvation from sin and from all the judgment of Adonai is all from him and not at all from us lest we boast. The Shaliah Shaul hammers this home, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, by emphasizing three times that it is Adonai who has chosen us, that his choice did not depend upon anything in us, but only on him. The Shaliah Yochanan also makes it clear that the new birth is not by human effort, it's not by human will. Jacob, James, Yaakov makes the same point in his first chapter, verse 18 as well. In in our text this morning, Yeshua shows that we are dependent on Adonai to reveal His salvation to us. There are reasons why we are dependent on Adonai to reveal His salvation to us. Number one, we're dependent on Him to reveal His salvation to us because our finite reason is incapable of knowing the infinite God. Yeshua's statement here is a strong assertion of both His deity and His humanity. The fact that all things were handed over to Him by the Father shows Yeshua's humanity. The fact that only Yeshua can reveal the Father to us shows His deity because no mere man nor any created being could reveal the eternal God to us. But the problem is bigger than just the fact of our finiteness. Number two, we are dependent on Adonai to reveal His salvation to us because we are spiritually blind by nature. As Shaul explains, quote, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That may be when you're sharing the good news, you're sharing with a non-believer, that like a glaze comes over their eyes, they're spiritually discerned, they cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. 
Just ask a blind man who cannot see a beautiful sunset because he lacks the necessary organs to see that sunset. Even so, a sinner who does not have the Holy Spirit cannot grasp the things of God, of Adonai, the Father, of Yeshua. Without spiritual life in Messiah, we are no more capable of knowing Adonai than a corpse is capable of seeing and knowing a living person. But being spiritually dead and blind is not our only problem. Number three, we are dependent on Adonai to reveal his salvation to us because we are under the domain and power of Hasatan. The fact is, it takes the defeat of Hasatan to save a soul. Why? Because he, quote, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. When Adonai saves us, he delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to another kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. We cannot free ourselves from this bondage to the adversary. God must do that for us. And so as we see in our text this morning, God's grace brought great rejoicing to Yeshua. Why? Yeshua here is overjoyed. He's rejoicing in God's grace because it's glorifying his Father. If a man can glory in any part of his or her salvation, it robs God of the total glory that is due to him alone. But if salvation is due solely to God's choice and God's power, then we can only boast in the Lord. Number two, we're getting a little lesson here in salvation. Yeshua rejoiced in the grace of God. Why? Because it defeats the power of Satan. Every time a soul is saved from Gehenna, it is a foretaste of Adonai's final and complete victory over the adversary. And this caused Yeshua to rejoice. Number three, Yeshua rejoices here in the grace of God because it humbles the proud sinner. The proud man or woman thinks that he or she can approach God in our own way, by our own terms, through our own merits. And obviously, Shaul, Rav Shaul, the emissary, Shaul Paul, he was an intelligent man, right? He was a well-educated man. But as he says, all those things were gained to him. All those things that would have been gained, he counted as loss for the sake of Messiah. Scripture is clear, my friends. Abelnai opposes the proud. But what? Gives grace to the humble. And finally, Yeshua is rejoicing here in the grace of God because it promotes holiness. Those who know the greatness of God's holiness, of His glory, of His saving grace in His Son, will constantly judge their pride and rely on Him for everything that is needed to live in holiness. Thus, likewise... God's grace should bring joy to us. For you see, true joy is produced in our personality when? When we are being filled with Ruach HaKodesh. There are a lot of believers who have no joy in them. They're not filled with Ruach HaKodesh. We leak We need to constantly be refilled with Ruach HaKodesh. In fact, God's grace in saving us should bring greater joy to us than even our serving Him. And this is Yeshua's gentle correction 
as we're going to see to the 70 disciples here in our text. They were excited about how God had just used them, right, in defeating Satan's forces through their ministry. Yeshua is not telling them not to rejoice at all in such victories. Rather, he's putting it in some perspective for them. Our greatest joy should not be seeing Adonai using us to serve him, but rather in the simple fact, very simple, that our names are recorded, engraved in heaven. Service to Messiah, we all know, it has its ups and it has its downs. I've been going through a downswing since the events of the U.S. Capitol. I've had some very difficult situations in the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. Last weekend, we should have all not been here and been at our Southwest Regional Conference. We haven't been able to do conferences, and it's kind of one of the big things the MJA does. We're coming up to a decision in the next couple of weeks regarding our summer conference. I can't imagine that we wouldn't have it, but it's not looking good. But what we're t- Yeshua is putting it in perspective here. Our greatest joy should not be in seeing how God uses us to serve, but rather in the simple fact our names are written in heaven. Service has its ups and downs, but salvation through God's grace fills us with a steady joy. A steady joy. So I'm preaching to myself as well. Joel, where's your steady joy? Get off the roller coaster, Joel, in terms of joy. Where's your steady joy? Let's go on, verse 22. All things, Yeshua says, have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son, myself, Yeshua, saying, and anyone to whom I choose to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many Nevi'im, many prophets and kings, Malachim, desired to see what you are seeing, yet did not see, and to hear what you are hearing, yet did not hear. The all things probably includes things like divine revelation, divine power, the blessings that humble disciples experience contrast here with the judgment that proud people who disregard that knowledge and that power that Yeshua revealed are going to experience. Yeshua's teaching here glorified the privilege of being a disciple. And it still does today. We are privileged to be Talmidim of Yeshua. Too often the responsibilities of Talmidut, of discipleship, make following Yeshua unattractive, even doggone threatening. But the rewards of discipleship, I'm here to report to you, far outweigh those costs. By the way, there's nothing wrong with evidence being used to support our faith, but it shouldn't be used as the very basis of it. God alone and His self-revelation is the basis for believing and trusting, not the miraculous evidence of it. So Luke continues here to focus Yeshua's teaching on discipleship in his selection of material as we read on in verse 25. Now a certain Torah lawyer stood up to entrap Yeshua saying, Teacher, what should I do to gain eternal life? Then Yeshua said to him, and this is so Jewish, by the way, what has been written in the Torah? He answers a question with a question. All right. What has been written in the Torah? How do you read it? And he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might, all your mind. The Ahavta, 
Lerecha, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And it's a misunderstood passage. There's a lot going on in this passage, actually. The Greek word nomikos, translated here lawyer in a non-Jewish context, means here a, a Jewish specialist in Jewish law. Now the Greek word here translated in the TLV entrap, they, he wanted to entra- stood up and, to entrap Yeshua, ekperirazon, does not necessarily mean or imply hostility. Okay, Knowing that the Tanakh alludes to the internal inheritance one can possess, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, etc., the man simply could have been asking the opinion of Yeshua here, assuming that people had to do something to obtain eternal life. Eternal life is the equivalent of spiritual salvation and included entrance into the Messianic kingdom. And this was a common Jewish theological question all through the Tanakh and so on and legal and other challenges to rabbis. This was very common in ancient rabbinic debate, by the way. So the question, what shall I do? What should I do to gain eternal life? My friends, that is most easily the, mo- the easiest, the most important question any of us can ask. It's the most important question we can ask. It is more important than the question, whom should I marry? It is more important than the question, what career shall I pursue? Life is so uncertain that a person could be in his grave before he or she gets married or even enters into a career. So the matter of where one spends eternity is the crucial issue to settle before all other questions. And so the Torah lawyer question here seems like it's a good question, but Yeshua answers the question by asking the question of of his own. And I read at one point, actually, and you can read that Yeshua asked over 300 questions in the four gospel account. What do I think? Yeshua was always listening. He's always listening to people. And he's always discerning whether a question was designed to justify the questioner or to inform the questioner. And so Yeshua directs the lawyer to the authority they both accepted and asks, what has been written in the Torah? How do you read it? You see, every morning, religious Jewish people recite, recited, and they recite the Shema. It speaks of loving God with all of our being. And this is how the lawyer responds here, giving virtually the same answer that Yeshua himself gave to a similar question posed to him on another occasion in Matthew and Mark's gospel. But this astute lawyer even adds here the admonition from Leviticus 19 regarding loving one's neighbor as well. Yeshua says, good answer, but I believe then... With a twinkle in his eye, Yeshua said, do this and you will live. You see, the Greek word here for live is not bios, which would signify biological life or a healthy life. It is the word zao, which means full and meaningful life. 
In other words, Yeshua proceeded to caution the lawyer that he needed wholehearted compliance with the Torah to gain eternal life. That's impossible, by the way. And Yeshua quotes the Torah to drive that point home. For you see, the lawyer's question here was almost right. But there's one little word in the lawyer's question that spoils it. Have you found that word? Here is a clue. Eternal life, the greatest issue of life is eternal life, but it can't be inherited by what we do. The quest for eternal life, Yeshua said, it's a good quest. Every one of us should be on that quest. The lawyer said, what should I do to obtain eternal life? You and I cannot do anything to attain eternal life. Yeshua has already done everything that needs to be done. You don't have to do anything to inherit something. The only way to inherit eternal life is to be born into the family of God. Actually, we get adopted. But there's nothing we can do. But once we're in a family or in the family, we are an heir. For you see, Yeshua here was challenge, he's issuing a challenge when he says to the lawyer, do this and you will live. Why? Because the lawyer knew he couldn't do it. He couldn't observe Torah 100% all of the time. My friends, there might be some of you, some of you here, maybe some of you watching now on Facebook Live or YouTube, who still think that there's something that you can do to gain eternal life. Yeshua says to you, do this, keep all the commandments, and you shall live. That is impossible. Eternal life is not a routine. It is not a ritual. It is a relationship. Yeshua said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Yeshua the Messiah, the one you sent. So instead of trapping Yeshua... Yeshua traps him by his own logic. Do you see that? For you see, it is possible to ask the right question with the wrong motives. And that is what this Jewish lawyer is doing here. He knew the answer to the question in his head, but his heart's not right before God. He's not open to the fact that he needs eternal life for himself. He knew the Torah more than the average Jew on the street. He kept the Torah, or so he thought. He's asking the question about eternal life to test Yeshua. Perhaps he wanted to trip Yeshua up or entrap him, as the TLV said, or to demonstrate his own superior knowledge in front of the crowd gathered there. But Yeshua turns the question back on the lawyer, and this helps us grasp the meaning of the grace of God. We cannot be saved by good works. This lawyer, no doubt, thought he'd already had eternal life. He had devoted himself to the study of the Torah. He was diligent to keep it. He thought he had all of his bases covered. He thought that eternal life came by keeping the Torah of Moses, that he's qualified on that basis. And notice how Yeshua responds to him. He directs the lawyer back to the Torah of Moses, showing that the Bible is the only authority for how to obtain eternal life. Yeshua didn't say to the lawyer, uh, 
What did the Pilashim, what did the scribes say? No, we didn't say that to this lawyer. He didn't ask, what is the tradition of the Jewish religion? What does it say? He didn't say, well, it's a great question. What's your opinion? He didn't inquire about any mystical, spiritual experiences that the man had had. No, rather Yeshua directs the man back to the written word of God. What has been written in the Torah? How do you read it? My friends, the scriptures and the scriptures alone are our sole authority in matters of faith and practice. Now that may sound basic to us, and it is basic, but it is under daily constant attack. We must hold firmly to it. I was just reading this morning about a congregation in Nashville who have just come out. The pastor just preached a message that, that this is not the Word of God. It's coming under daily attack by progressives. They call it the Christian left. That's an oxymoron. You're not a believer if you don't believe that this is the written Word of God. I'm not going to call them the Christian left. They're progressives. Yeah, regressives. Now, we believe that... I don't believe that every person can interpret the Bible the way he or she chooses, as if it had no objective standard or meaning. That kind of subjectivism leads to heresy, doesn't it? We must follow sound principles of biblical interpretation. The scriptures were written by many men over a period of 1,500 years. And since the last author has been dead nearly 1,900 years, there are definite problems in understanding the exact meaning of certain passages, for sure. There are language gaps, right? There are differences in words that we use today. There are cultural gaps, right? There are different customs that were in vogue then. There are geographical gaps. There are some places that the Bible talks about not on today's maps, And then there are historical gaps as well. And therefore, there is a need today for proper scripture interpretation. Let's name a couple of those principles of scripture interpretation that will keep us from error and help us understand difficult passages like this one. Number one, always remember that the scripture is Adonai's infallible, inerrantly inspired word. There are no mistakes in it. Number two, interpret the scriptures in the light of its historical background. Study the personal circumstances of the writers. Study the culture. Study the customs of the country at the time that the writing or the story is taking place. Study and interpret scripture in the light of the actual historical situation and events that were taking place at the time of the story. Number three, interpret the scripture according to the purpose and plan of each of its books. Number four, always interpret according to the context of a verse. The context includes the verses immediately preceding and immediately following the verse that you are studying. Number five, always interpret according to the correct meaning of words. That's why I love, uh, I think it's AMG's keyword Hebrew and Greek study Bible. I've got it on my shelf. It's awesome. I refer to it. Obviously, I've had three Greek words here because it's so important. Number five, uh, number six rather, interpret the scripture according to all the parallel passages that deal with the subject and according to the message of the entire Bible. That's why I'm so keen on the center reference suites in your Bible so that you can run the references. Now sometimes we have seen, unfortunately, 
We've seen people put some supposed word from God that they've received on the same level as Scripture. Some put their own experiences above Scripture rather than testing it by Scripture. My friends, if you and I move away from the authority of Scripture as the only authority, we become adrift on a sea of subjectivity where we can end up saying many things that contradict the Bible. So what does Scripture say on the crucial question here? What should I do to gain eternal life? When it comes to loving God with our whole being, we cannot begin to love God whom we don't know. And as Yeshua said in verse 22, no one knows who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see, if the lawyer here had evaluated his life correctly by the standard of God's Torah, he would have immediately seen, oh my goodness, I I fall short. He would have fallen down in front of Yeshua and pled, how can I know God and love God as I ought to love Him? And Yeshua would have said back to him probably, repent of your self-righteousness and believe in me. I give eternal life to those who hear my voice and follow me. In other words, no man can do this thing without the new birth. God's holy Torah convicts us of all falling short and makes us realize that we cannot save ourselves no matter how hard we try. was in uh, Paris several years ago and we were in the Jewish quarter there in Paris and a lot of ultra-Orthodox are there and you know fellow rabbi and I came across a Chabadnik and we were a young man we were just fellowshipping with him and sharing it and he was so he was so bent on us laying to fill in with him For, for salvation, for merits before God, for points, brownie points. And, so, and, and we did, we laid to fill in with him, but we began, began to explain this understanding of what salvation is. Yeshua's method here with this lawyer teaches us we shouldn't be so quick to tell people the good news before they see themselves, their own self-righteousness, and before they're, they, they see that they're both guilty of breaking God's law and incapable of keeping it. That must be commonplace. It must be first place. They must see that they can't keep all of this. That there's a, a, a relationship fracture first. And so as we head into our spring festivals together, beginning next Shabbat here with the festival of lots of Purim, of Esther, encourage you to come in a biblical costume. Yeshua's solution here is to be merciful, And to forgive and welcome back warmly and quickly. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God we serve. Perhaps today there might be one or more of you here, maybe watching online as well, that you know you need to come to God. You recognize you can't truly live without His mercy and forgiveness in you desperately need to be part of his redeemed family. It's Mishpocha. How do we do that? How do you do that? Well, I've mentioned it many times here at Tree of Life. It's very simple. 
in keeping with what Yeshua shared here with this Torah lawyer. Very simply, it's like when we started as a child our journey of academics. What did we learn first? We learned our ABCs, didn't we? And likewise, there are the ABCs of this journey. Amen. A, admit that we've not lived a perfect life. In fact, we've committed crimes in God's sight called sin and that we're in need of a Messiah. Admitting our sin, my friends, involves the concept of confession. That's the biblical word, homologeo, to agree with. We have to agree with God. We've not measured up to His perfect standard of holiness. That's the A and the ABCs we have to admit. B, we have to believe. We have to believe that Yeshua is the only Messiah available. The Chabad movement tomorrow at 8 a.m. our time is looking for another Schneerson that doesn't fulfill the Messianic prophecies. The scriptures say salvation is found only in no one else but Yeshua. Acts 4.12. No one else. If you need a Messiah for your sinfulness, you have found only one choice, and that is Yeshua. And that is be believed. And finally see in our journey, we choose to follow Him as Messiah, to place our faith in Him alone. Repentance, Teshuvah, Metanoia, requires that we make a conscious choice. We actually change our mind about the way that we're going to live the rest of our lives. This is not about fire insurance, folks. This is about metanoia. It's about repentance. It's about teshuva. It's about turning for the rest of our lives. We get off the throne of our life. We put Yeshua sitting there instead. So we've done A. We've admitted our sinfulness. Maybe you've gone to B. You believe that Yeshua is the only option that can really save you. If you want to take care of the sin problem in your life, be delivered from its bondage. But you've not yet gone to C. Because there's warfare over your soul. The adversary is trying to blind your mind. He's trying to get you off doing something else. You have to see. You have to choose. You have to choose to place your faith today in Yeshua as your Messiah and as Lord. If you'd like to do that this morning, I'm going to invite you to just pray a simple prayer with me. Very simple. Adonai, thank you today for loving me so much that you sent your only son. Who died on Hatzlav, the execution stake, the tree of sacrifice to pay in full for all of my sins. Lord, I'm sorry for going my own way for so long, so many years, oh God. I confess I've sinned against you, a holy God. And I admit I need a Messiah today, Lord, to cure my sin problem in your sight. I believe that heaven, I believe that abundant life here and now are gifts that you alone can give. And I cannot earn it and I never deserve it. Help me to become the person that you created me to be as I choose right now to follow you all the days of my life. Create in me today, Lord, a new heart and a new spirit. Restore unto me, Lord, the the joy of my salvation. Let us be like Yeshua to be overjoyed with our salvation, to be rejoicing. We rejoice today. If you'd stand with me. We rejoice today. We're overwhelmed with joy of God's chesed, His mercy, His rachamim, His compassion, His grace. We couldn't do anything to measure up. We couldn't keep the Torah perfectly. That's very clear. We needed to be an heir and to inherit. 
And we have. We thank you today, Lord. We're overjoyed in that. Now, Lord, there's a world outside these doors that doesn't have that yet. Many of which, millions in our city, truly. So, Lord, as we go out in the highways and byways of our lives on our kingdom assignment this coming week, Lord, as we look for openings and opportunities to go in and share this good news, the sobering good news, in a sense, what results in overwhelming joy. We look forward to kingdom brothers and sisters being added as they were added in the book of Acts. They were added daily to the kingdom. Lord, you're calling us to a deeper commitment to you, deeper understanding of you. We're going to go down the rabbit hole of salvation. We're going to see, and it's going to cause us to weep for joy at the reality of salvation. Thank you for bringing that person on the bus or that family member to share with me. Or however God worked about circumstances to bring you into the kingdom. Maybe you were off in the world for decades and you had to come to Yeshua moment. I'm thankful for every situation that worked itself through it, that you are now in the kingdom of God. So Father, as we repeat that in our minds of how we came to know you, that faithful day and that hour, Lord, and the overwhelmingness of heaven to move heaven and earth to get to that place. We are overwhelmed with joy and weeping. You found us. We found you again. So God, we're grateful today. And as God told Moses to tell Aaron and his sons how to bless the children of Israel... As we close our time of service today and move into a time of prayer for one another and fellowship with one another, receive God's blessing over your lives today. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance over you and grant you peace and joy forevermore. In Yeshua's name. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, treeoflifeca.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Tree of Life Messianic, to see more content, including our weekly live stream. Be sure to tune in for our next episode next week as we continue to explore our Jewish roots through scripture.